Hi, this is Jonathan Mickles, and this is the Strategic Multifamily Investing Podcast, and I have with me Mr. Carl Pritchard. How's it going, man? Uh, it is going great. It is a sunny day. Yeah, uh, yeah, right. It's it's a little overcast uh, where I am. Where are where where are you right now? I'm in far western Maryland. Got it. The, the boondocks. So yes. Yes, it, it is uh, where, where you've mentioned before and uh, that we've talked about. It is definitely the boondocks. But listen, I, I want to say thank you so much for uh, for taking um, you know, my invitation to come here. I'm really geeked out. I'm really jumping up and down. I'm a, I'm a fanboy, if you will, of your work. Um, for those who don't know who Mr. Carl Pritchett is, he, he is uh, one of the preeminent world-leading experts in risk management. If you are a project manager, um, especially, uh, you know, connected to PMBOK, which is the uh, project management body of knowledge. Ah, see, he wrote the book. There you go. See, I'm not lying. He literally wrote the book on risk management. Uh, and uh, we're going to talk about a little bit about risk management and multifamily. Um, so first of all, again, thank you, Carl. You want to give a little bit of introduction to, you know, kind of how you got to risk a little bit about your early days, because you also are like a, you know, a, a recovering uh, disc jockey of sorts, right? <laughs> Actually, a recovering news geek of sorts. I was the news guy and uh, I was the news director at WASH Radio and then found out something interesting about radio. I found out it doesn't pay. And so I had to find something a little more lucrative and believe it or not, risk and risk training and risk consulting is actually a lot more lucrative than is running a news department. Absolutely. So that's how I kind of landed here. And beyond that, it's been a function of, I, I try to drive home the message or the gospel, if you will, that risk doesn't have to be depressing. People invariably, they start thinking risk and they're like, oh, geez, oh, 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 it's all the bad things. You could die. And I, I try and dissuade them of that notion. I try and drive them to the point where it's, no, having the risk conversation puts you in a, uh, a position of power, puts you in a position of being a futurist, being able to see everything in the crystal ball. And it also gives you the ability then to preclude the bad things from happening. So it's win-win. That's 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 good. So you you uh, you were leading up a uh, a radio station, and uh, you have uh, the, some of the greatest training. If you are looking to get your your um, your CES or your continuing education credits, definitely reach out to the best hours or so. You really will learn something. I'm serious. No, really. You I. I <laughs> <laughs> every time I come on, you know, I, I'm also a realtor. And so sometimes I take those, you know, every two years we have to take up, you know, 15 credits and stuff. And I'm like, eh, okay. But, and you know, it's like the same humdrum thing. But literally when you go to one of your classes, you, you really do learn uh, a lot of different things and you bring in a lot of different, um, uh, a different things. So let, let's start out by talking about what risk actually is. And so I'm pretty sure you, you have a, a bunch of definitions, but what is risk? Risk is anything that basically takes us off target from our objectives. That's, that's it. I mean, that's the fundamental shorthand of it. It's any uncertain event that can take us away from our target or our objectives. 
And, and sadly, we could have infinite allies. And I, I've been thinking about this conversation since I knew it was coming up. And, and it's funny because your best allies for risk are all the people in your multifamily units. You know, every resident you've got is a risk ally, potentially. And unfortunately, a lot of them are like, I just never want to see you unless I have to. A risk ally. So let's talk, let's talk, what is a risk ally? Why, um, and why do you classify the, uh, the tenants as such? I, 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 well, a risk ally is somebody who's helping you to identify a risk. Somebody who's helping you to uh, kind of flag potential problems and come up with potential solutions before they happen. Got it. And, and those would be really great risk allies if you have a significant other in your life. You like to think that person is a risk ally because they're forever, don't do that, dear. Just, just don't even think about it. And they're stopping us from doing evil, evil things. And our tenants, oh my gosh, the exact same thing can be happening. They're the people who should be saying to us, you know, they spot that little spot on the ceiling, you know, and, and, and well, I'm not going to bring it up. I don't want to deal with that. Ah, the heck with it. And it doesn't take long before the cascade comes down through the ceiling. And they could have warned us months ago, but they're not allies yet. And we need to persuade them to actually come in and have the risk conversation. So then you saying bring them into the office or maybe you can use, you know, the, the web of some sort to kind of submit some things, uh, the complaint box, if you will, that they can, yeah. you know, put those things up. Right. But see, you went, you went down the dark road. You, I, you, you, you couldn't help yourself. <laughs> you, did. You, you went down the dark road because you complaint box, you know, yeah. you know, and, and going dark on me. But the reality is, um, what we should be doing is looking at them and saying, you know, I've been a tenant myself. I have. Mm -hmm. And when I was a tenant, I used to despise my landlord because I felt like he was never doing anything to support me in my existence. Yeah. And the reality was I wasn't doing anything to support him. And if you spot something where you're like, I just don't like the way this looks. I don't like the way this feels. And it's funny, I was a landlord for a while. I don't know that I ever told you that, Jonathan. No, I no, I, I didn't know. I, okay, now this is, like, every time I, I'm talking to someone, I, I, I find out some new things. Okay, this is good. What, what kind yeah. of uh, property did you manage? Was it single family or multifamily? Single family. Okay. But I had, I actually had um, two single families next to each other okay. that I was, I was running. And it was funny because one of my tenants, after several years in the property, finally moved out. And they were packing up and I went down to say goodbye and bid them on farewell and everything else. Mm -hmm. And their mother was along for the ride. And I was standing out in the front yard and I walked down the street and I said, oh, I said, today's moving day. And she goes, yeah, yeah, they're finally getting out of here. And I said, well, good for them. I said, it's nice. I, I understand they bought a new house. And she said, yep, they bought their very first house and they are so glad to be getting out of here. And I said, really? And she said, oh, oh, the landlord's terrible. He's awful. And I'm like, okay, what do you say now? You know, because it's too late for the reveal. You, know, you don't want to say, oh, and that would be me. Right. Not, not a good moment. But um, I, said, I said, really? And she goes, oh, oh, he'd never fix anything. Now, mm -hmm. mind you, not once 
And they come in and said, this needs fixed, that needs fixed. We'd like to update that. We'd like to improve that. No. In fact, we had gone to them a couple of times and said, do you want central air put in? We, we, we didn't have central air in that particular building. And we said, do you want central air? Because it'll be disruptive for you for about three weeks. But the reality is we're happy to do that and it won't change your rent. And it uh, will and they, not change your rent. Right. I prefaced it with that because they get ahead. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's what they're yeah. yeah. And and they and they're like, no, 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 we can't handle the disruption. Too much, too much. And then the mom is going, you know, he wouldn't even put in air conditioning. He made them live with those uh window units. Okay. And, and my head exploded. But this goes back to risk allies. Okay. You want somebody who you can say to them, look. Mikasa Sukasa. I really, I, I, I want you to understand that. It's not like I'm looking at you as a tenant. I'm looking at you as my friend and ally. Because if you tell me early, if there's a little problem, if there's a, if there's a smell somewhere, if there's something going on, for crying out loud, I can nip it in the bud. If you never tell me, I'll yeah. get out. So I, I got the idea of risk allies, and this is perfect. You know, I, I guess from a multifamily perspective, you know, there are some operators that uh, will manage their own property, and it's important to develop that culture where people can come to you. There's some operators that don't want to be known. Um, and so, you know, they want to be secret agents, if you will, that they can, you know, kind of come in and out and people can, you know, feel comfortable complaining to them without them feeling, you know, some kind of way that, you know, this guy's going to try to get me out of this property, right? Um, still other managers or operators uh, want to hire a property management company to do all those things. And this is the culture that you want to ensure that uh, your property management company has where they really are you know, bonding with them. And they're not just tenants, but they're residents. They're, this is a community, your family, um, so that they can share with you. But I want to, you know, kind of delve a little bit into, you know, uh, and so this is pretty much how you operate the property in terms of doing some things with risk. But, you know, you started acquiring at some point in time and, you know, you wanted to get into single family and um, to do some things in real estate. But, you know, like a lot of people, they're a little concerned about getting into things because there's a bunch that could happen or risk things that take you off your target. How did you approach, um, you know, the, the unknowns and the risks as it were moving forward? Well, in, in both instances, it was kind of funny because it was in my neighborhood. Okay. So I knew the neighborhood. I understood the culture. I understood the environment. I also had some clarity because uh, I knew what, what houses were going for in our neighborhood and it wasn't cheap. And one, uh, one of my neighbors down the street passed away and she was, she was in her late eighties. And I went down to the, the estate sale, figuring I'd pick up a you know, chest of drawers or a rug. You know. And I got down to the estate sale and I noticed handwritten in pencil on the side of the auction trailer was a sign that said real estate to be offered at noon. And I walked up to the executor. I said, hey, Pat, you're not selling Dottie's house, are you? And she goes, yeah, we decided this morning. The family just said, we're just tired of it. We want to get rid of it. I said, you didn't even advertise in the paper that you're selling the house. Okay. She said, no, but if we can get a decent nickel for it, 
we're just done. We just want to be done. And I said, what kind of down payment do you need? She said, five grand. Five grand, that'll do it. That'll put a lock on the house. So I run up to my house and I go, Nancy, we got to find five grand by noon. And uh, my wife being a CPA, she of course pulled this off and uh, went back down. Noon came, house went for a song at auction. And that was just you know, serendipitous. It was just one of those situations where I, I saw it as a no lose situation. Okay. Because I knew the house, the neighborhood, I knew the people, I knew pretty much everything there was to know. I had data, and it's it's funny. I'm writing a blog right now on data decision, data driven decision making. Okay. And it's it's what you need. If you don't have the data, this is not something to just go spur of the moment. Let's do this. It is something where you want background, you want history, and the more that you have, the the more armed you are for, am I getting into something where there's going to be this much fix-up? Am I getting into something where there's going to be a lion's share of fix-up? And, and that's important. So in terms of fix-up, did you bring in uh, contractors and things of that sort to maybe do, you know, an inspection and whatever prior to you, you know, finalizing the sale? I mean, or... Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. We brought in, we brought in a, housing, a house inspector, you know, and, and had the, the real estate deal done. And the only you know, the thing was, this little old lady had lived in this house. She was the original owner. It was oh. built in the 50s. Wow. And she had lived there alone her entire life. No pets, only one real problem. And that was she smoked like a chimney. So, oh, no. So the entire house just, you know, had, had kind of that cigarette smoke smell. And it took about four coats of paint to get rid of it. Uh, and a negative air machine. Did you have a negative air machine? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> would have been a thought, though. That would have been a good idea. Where yeah. were you? Well, you know, I, but you you mentioned data-driven, you know, decision-making as a way of being able to reduce the unknowns and the risks that you're in there. And Yeah, absolutely. I know you, you mentioned a couple of things that as uh, syndicators, you know, we, we do well to make sure that our investors, you know, before we go talk to investors, that they understand the areas that we're investing in, right? That means that you have done your research because you said, you know, the area, you know what houses are going for. So you would know what, uh, you know, apartment buildings are going for, what the average per door sale is, et cetera. You know how much uh, work that is going to be needed to them, you know, and you can get that information, you know, a lot of times through the brokers or um, sometimes, just talking with the owner if you're doing off the market deals, right? Because these are what they, you know, most of us uh, in the syndication world call value add deals. And, you know, that's exactly what you were doing. You were adding value to the property, but you were about to say something. I'm sorry, I think I cut you off there. No, no, it's it's funny though. The other, the other person who is, again, your ally in all this is um, my son lives in a multifamily unit. He's, he's currently a renter. And um, it's, it's been interesting. The one thing I think, if I were gonna ping him, if I were looking at buying those units, first thing I'd wanna ask him, what's turnover like? How mm -hmm. often are you getting new neighbors? And that's a hard thing to quantify a lot of times, but it's one of the keys to actually making a profit on this thing. So I wanna know, are these people who have been here forever, or are these constantly, oh, there's a new face every week? that's going to make a big difference in terms of whether or not you're able to really cash in on the whole deal. 
Yeah, I think that um, for some people, um, when you're getting what we call an offering memorandum in a multifamily uh, arena, you know, there is um, there's a section in there of, uh, for vacancy, and then right under vacancy are generally uh, wow concessions and bad debt, and so that bad debt may maybe you're not collecting the rents, you know. Um, you may have another line item somewhere else that may say turnover, right? That talks about, you know, the cost of what it's going to take for you to be able to turn over a unit and how often you're doing that. So these numbers are out there. But, you know, I, I think even in um, researching some of the areas, uh, some uh, syndicators, I know that we sometimes look at this as well, if we're in a new area, is the unemployment rate, right? To be able to know you know, is this a strong market? Is this in the path of progress? You know, are people going to be around? Those things would help us out. And uh, again, this is all data that would help you to, to, to reduce the risk in, in at least acquisition. So what were some of the other challenges that you had, you know, in either buying these two properties or, or managing them um, that were potential risks that you, and, and how did you mitigate them or accept them or transfer them? Uh, Etc. Using the right lingo, that's nice to hear. That's music <laughs> to my ears. I learned but, from the uh, best. I learned there from you the go. Best. Yeah, but um, probably the one thing that made it so that nothing completely ran amok on us was the fact they were two doors down. Mm. Uh, but it, you're in the neighborhood. You're actually you've got eyes on, and that's why your point earlier about a property manager. Great, get a property manager. But get somebody who can tell you on a daily or on a ritual basis, hey, just so you know, drove by, the house looks good. Hey, drove by, um, you know, the windows look like they might be cracked, and I'm trying to figure out why. I want somebody who's basically keeping eyes on it. I had a friend who had a, a rental down at the beach, and he, uh, he I, I said, how often do you go down? He goes, oh, twice a year. And I said, and that's it. And he said, yep, that's it. He said, I trust my tenants to go in. They go in their beach families and they do the drill and clean up after themselves. And if anybody reports back, there's a problem, I blame it on the previous tenant. So I warn them, it's on you to make sure you report out anything before you move in that there was a problem. It's like checking off that little ding car on the uh, rental agreement. Yep. But, but what was interesting about that was he said, I go down there twice a year. Well, one episode had him, the place was uninhabited for three months. Mm. Three months. He went down. It was a shambles. It was a catastrophe. And it wasn't people, it was critters. Critters had gotten in. And those of you who have ever had the joy of squirrels or, or other similar small rodent-like animals, you know, it's like, oh my gosh, shoot me now. They have destroyed everything because they will. They'll just eat whatever's available. And it's just nasty stuff. We need somebody with eyes on. Got it. Got it. So I know that uh, with uh, some syndicators and multifamily investors, uh, actually with some banks, before they'll even lend, they'll want to know who's in the area specifically for that reason. And, um, you know, you need boots on the ground. So a lot of times what I'm, um, that's what's called, it's called the boots on the ground for some people. And uh, a lot of times what uh, I know some people do is they say, well, who's, who's around? And if not, they'll partner with someone and put them on the GP specifically because they're boots on the ground. So if you are uh, looking for property in North Carolina, um, hint, hint, hint. <laughs> 
you know, this guy, you know, might be able to assist you. <laughs> Eyes on the property. So that, yeah, that's, that's really important. Um, so then are you still, do you still own these properties or did you divest of them? And if so, why? Um, we got rid of them because we went, we went on a campaign in the past uh, year and a half. We decided that we were going to be as frugal as humans can be because you can tell it's thinning. I'm getting closer to retirement. So wanted to kind of consolidate everything and sold off everything, including our house wow. and moved into a much smaller house in far Western Maryland. We have cut our expenses overall by more than half on a monthly basis. Wow. More than half. Our expenses are, yeah, my taxes are, two, are one third of what they used to be. Wow. Yeah. And okay. as a re- but why? What, what, what was the impetus for this? I mean, what, what, what made you want to go and, and, and do this? Because, you know, most of our culture right now is more or less, you know, bigger, the better, the more toys you have when you die, you win, that kind of thing. Why, why, why do this consolidation? Because we are now living easy. I'm, I'm an independent consultant. And the, the big fear is always, do I have another gig? Do I still have more work? Is there still more money coming in? That's, that's always the big fear. And uh, to avoid, to mitigate the risk of running into that particular situation, we decided together that we were going to do this. And we have wiped out every, every nickel of debt. We have no debt. Wow. None. Not a penny. And we own our house outright, which wow. is, yeah, no mortgage. So, <laughs> yeah. You hold take on. away all your, yeah. This sounds like, hold on. Is this related to Dave Ramsey? Are you sure, Dave sure. Ramsey? Ah, Absolutely. okay. Got it. Got yeah, it. we're believers. We really are. But it, at the same time, it, it, it's true. It's like no debt, no mortgage, no nothing holding us back. Now, if I have a slow month as a consultant, who cares? If I have a really good month, like last month, last month was killer. Yeah, if I have, if I have a really good month, Nancy and I are like, oh yeah. And we're just doing the happy dance. We're just living large. So it's a wonderful balance. And it, and it gives us the opportunity to kind of live out the next oh, 30 years, live out the next 30 years with the whole idea of, yeah. And if we make money, that's good. And if we don't make money, that's good. So, so it's a nice place to be. So that's actually, you know, reduce the amount of what could go wrong, AKA risk for you personally. Um, to, to live a more frugal life. I mean, would you advise even the younger folks maybe to do that, to be a minimalist or an essentialist? Uh, go ahead. I, no, and actually I wouldn't. But what I would say to them is, the, the one thing that I did young, that I was very smart about that minimized just boatloads of my risk, was I chose wise investments. I really did. I, I invested well for my retirement, I had the houses for a while and then was able to sell them off in an up market. And I bought the one for a song. So made a nice penny on that. And it's, it's that kind of stuff. And that's why, you know, do I say, you know, just be a penny pincher? No, forget that. I, I, I like driving a nice car, but at the same time, I also think it's really, really important to counsel yourself on what is a good investment and spend some time digging 
to make sure that you're minimizing your risk. And so Dave Ramsey would say, have no car that's more than three or five years new and uh, that you pay cash for it and you do everything that you need to do in order to make it happen so that you don't have any debt. I mean, that's, that's one of the key things that you, you mentioned there. And so if you want, um, I, we're not sponsored by Dave Ramsey, but go to DaveRamsey.com and look up uh, his book, Total Money Makeover. You can download it, I'm sure, on audiobook. And did you take the course? Yeah, yeah. yeah. We took Financial Peace. Yep. And uh, he has Financial Peace University is his big thing. Yep. But I, I'll tell you, there are people in my wife's circle, at being a CPA, mm-hmm. people in her circle who are like, Ramsey, oh, go away. You know, you want debt. Debt is good. And uh, fortunately for me, we agree that debt is not good. And the fact that I'm driving a 2015 Nissan Rogue, five years, thank you very much. Yeah, I'm driving my 2015 Nissan Rogue, fully loaded, got every bell, every whistle. and it's good. Well, I can imagine that some people are saying, well, Jonathan, with, uh, with multifamily investing, you know, especially if you're doing syndication, you aren't necessarily following these rules. Um, because you know, for, well, let's, let's, let's kind of talk about the financial structure of, uh, you know, deals in general on the multifamily side. Uh, generally you're putting, you're raising 20, 30%, or a little bit more, maybe 35% in equity, right? And then you're putting that down on, you know, uh, a loan that you'll get from the bank. Um, but the idea is that, you know, you're doing that in order to, number one, improve the property. Maybe some of that money that you've raised is going to what we call capital expenditures or CapEx. And, um, you know, it's it's a it's a good investment, but you do have a loan on that property. I mean, do you think that something like that is uh, within the, the lines of a Dave Ramsey uh, uh, evangelist of, of sorts? Sure. And I, well, not necessarily within his way of thinking, right? but I think, I think the reality is that a good investor can actually select a property that is available at a reasonable price that's going to yield a reasonable return right. and get it to, if you get it to the point where it is truly self-sustaining, where it's paying off the mortgage, it's paying off all those CapEx, then happy days because you're living large, you're living well. And unfortunately though, a lot of people go, if we build it, they will come. Mm -hmm. Um, No, they won't. (laughs) Yeah, they they genuinely won't. And, And you have to actually already know they're coming. And if you know they're coming and if you can actually flesh it out that way, you've arrived, you've done well. So, so then I think that that, that makes sense. I think um, one of the other concepts or principles that what I learned in the certified investor agent specialist um, uh, designation that I used to teach a couple of years back, one of the principles we mentioned is you buy for cash flow and not necessarily for appreciation. Appreciation is a benefit. It comes as a result if you've done your, your, your due diligence, but you don't buy because of appreciation. Because again, you never know what's happening. And right now, you know, I'll pivot real quick in terms of some risks that you see right now um, with uh, COVID-19. Right now, you know, we've, uh, I guess, kind of wrapped up the first wave and potentially could go into a second wave. Um, and, you know, a lot of people have been impacted because of the uh, government programs um, that were there to assist um, others um, 
that were displaced and they they ended i think uh the end of uh, july july 31st um and of course i think congress is working still on a on a bill at the time of this taping to potentially do some more but um you know that's going to be a risk there are a lot of people who potentially will will be facing eviction and things of that sort so how how would you you know how would we look at this risk risk register as it were well when you're looking forward you want to be looking at it from the perspective of i want i want to live whether or not the government does anything hmm. it's if you are relying on congress or the president to actually do something you're looking in the wrong place you really genuinely are and to boot you mentioned covid but we've also in november got the elections yeah. and it's going to make a difference yeah. it is going to make a difference who owns the house who owns the senate who owns the white house and when you're looking at that where the economy is going to go i would have such a challenge trying to make big investment decisions right now if okay. I were trying to make them today, just because you're right, COVID and the elections and all that, it's all cascading in at the exact same time. And if you want to look at an environment where there is crazy high risk, it's now. But it's also potentially that moment when some people are going to go, you know what, I am so tired of running multifamily. I'm just done. And they are actually going to be the ones going, I'm out. I'm out. I just want to make make my nickel and get out. That's all I want. So there may be both incredible opportunities, but also I think the risk level is much higher. So how how would one how would you see or some scenarios that you may see um, where someone could potentially mitigate risk? Uh, I keep using the word mitigate. Mitigate. Explain yeah. what. Explain the different types of ways to address a risk for us. If you could just Accept, them. accepting risk means suck it up. You know, just live with it. That's acceptance. Avoidance means I'm not even going there. I'm going to go back to working at the radio station. There. That's it. Um, acceptance, avoidance, mitigation can mean that you're going to minimize the probability it's going to whack you or minimize the impact of it whacking you. And I think now is a time for mitigation. And I think a lot of that is gonna rest in your contracts and who's writing up your contracts. Yeah. Because if you can write your contracts to make them a little more COVID safe, if you can postpone certain elements of your contract until after November, and you find out what the political landscape is gonna look like, those would be really smart things to do right now. It doesn't mean you don't go out investing. It doesn't mean you don't go out searching and finding the right properties. But what it does mean is you're going to spend some time trying to make sure that you have it so that your contracts, when it's sold or when you close, are all just, just so to minimize the, the actual impact of any uh, political outcome or physical outcome. So I'm going to uh, thank you so much for your time and what you've been sharing. I, I have one, another, one last question, I guess. Um, it's around investor relations, right? So as we talk about syndication, syndication is generally where, you know, an, an individual, you know, pulls together a group of people that they have a significant relationship with. Uh, if you're doing a, a series of 506B um, sort of a thing and, you know, you want to make sure that, 
everybody understands, you know, of course they read the, um, the documents, right, that say you could potentially lose money, et cetera. But every month, you know, people are having to have a conversation with their, you know, uh, investors about the, the landscape and what's going on and rents collected and what they see on the horizon, et cetera. Um, so that could be very, very challenging in order to do that. Um, how, how does a, a person or a syndicator, I guess, number one, walk into that? Meaning, am I walking in with a risk register? A risk register pretty much is a list of a lot of the things that we've just talked about already and say, hey, these things can happen and then put together a plan to do maybe the three or four things that you mentioned. Um, how, how, how best should, should someone communicate with that particular group around risk? I think if you have good investors, not a good syndicator, good investors, the real trick is going to be if they're asking the right questions. And if I'm a syndicator, I want them to ask the right questions. If they're not asking really smart questions, it's kind of like, are you thinking you're going to make money overnight with this? Because that's not happening. And that's where the real concern comes from. We want to make sure that somebody is actually taking the time to know okay, here's the lay of the land. Here's where we're not at risk. Here's where we are at risk. Now, if the thing's built on a foundation of stone, great. We don't have to worry about that. But if the thing is built on a foundation of sand, then yeah, I, I want people asking me, why did you choose sand? I want them to know, you know, why, why is this, even though it looks dicey, why is this still a good idea? And if the investors are asking the right questions, the syndicator is forced to come up with good answers. So as a, as a syndicator walking into this, should I already have a bunch of things that I already think that are going to be? Okay. I should already have the negative stuff already outlined and kind of talked about that in my presentation. Um, yeah. are, when you're in a situation on projects, because you, your projects have been primarily uh, IT projects, are you... Um, you know, how do you come up with these risks? Are you dealing with your, your project team? Or is this solely based, I guess, now on your, your list of projects that you've done in the past? Both. I mean, it, it's a function of, you want a, a, good, a good risk list will reflect history, but also a good risk register will also reflect what my team members think, my, well, for you, my investors think, what my tenants think. And it goes back to our allies what any of our allies are thinking in terms of, you know what I worry about? You know what keeps me up at night? And if you can get that information out of them, you win. You really win. I think I got, I had a light bulb moment. You, you mentioned something I, and uh, something, you, you, yeah, I had a light bulb moment. I'll, I'll keep that inside, but thank you um, for that. Is there any other advice that you would have for those that potentially are interested in, um, investing in apartment buildings, et cetera, that uh, you want to share around risk or anything else in your experience that you've shared? Just do the homework. That's all. Anytime you don't do the homework, there's a price to be paid. There really is. There's, there's a price out there somewhere. If you, if you think, no, this, this couldn't possibly lose, but you have no data to back that up, it'll lose. Got it. Got it. Do the homework. Make sure you meet with your team. Come up with some sort of list of, uh, of risks that you have, um, whether that be through acquisition or uh, asset management, which happens after, even in due diligence. 
Um, and uh, make sure that you're explaining that and sharing that with everybody. And uh, maybe you have a plan for some of those things. And if not, maybe your investors can help you with uh, putting together plans, especially if they're seasoned. Um, as you mentioned there, they're going to be asking the right questions. Well, listen, Carl, um, your book one more time for those who may be interested in doing risk, risk management. There you go. He is the guy who wrote risk management concepts and guidance. Uh, I, by Carl <laughs> Bridger. He, he is not only a PMP, but is also, I think PMI put out a, uh, a risk management. Risk. There you go, a risk management designation. And he is the second in the world to actually get it out. I think it's about a couple of hours that you were second. Six and a half hours. <laughs> six and a half hours. The guy smoked me by six and a half hours. So if anybody's interested in reaching out to you, how do they contact you? If you're on socials, your webpage, your phone number, whatever it is, how can I'm on LinkedIn and the other place to go find me is Carl at Carl Pritchard dot com it's like like you you know just name his website so carl at carlpritchard.com and that'll get it to me and he is very very responsive um he is uh oh my gosh uh, i've gotten so much value and i'm not just saying that because he's sitting here in front of me but i want to say thank you again for for all that you've uh, done the encouragement uh and then even your courses are just as uh, as humorous and, and lighthearted as uh, these are. It makes the time go by a lot faster. And much success to you, sir. And if there's anything that we can to do you. for you, thank you very much. Anything we can do here at Red Boot LLC for you, please feel free to reach out. Ladies and gentlemen, scream real loud. <laughs> All right, man. Thanks again for your time. Thank you.